0: This is The Real Good Podcast. My name is John Robuck, and with me is Derek Black Monolith
1: Armstrong. What? Sorry. And <laughs> that's it. Blakey isn't I here. Waiting. I was waiting for the other introduction, but there's no one else here. Blakey's not here.
0: Zoe's not here. They're both in Europe. They're both in
1: Europe. One for much longer than, another, than the other, I suppose. Yeah,
0: well, I think Zoe said she's coming back maybe January.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, maybe. I don't Ooh. know. Zoe, if
0: you're listening, which I don't think... I had where. written her off. No, she'll be back. Excellent. Yeah, and Blakey will
1: definitely be back. Yeah, he'll be back soon. Uh,
0: This episode is called 2018, a podcast with Derek Odyssey, and that's because we'll be talking about Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece, well, at least one of them, uh, 2001, a space odyssey. If you've been living under a rock or generally shy away from good things and haven't seen 2001 yet, here's a synopsis that we found on the internet. An implosing, let me start again. An imposing black structure provides a connection between the past and the future in this enigmatic adaptation of a short story by revered sci-fi author Arthur C. Clarke. When Dr. Dave Bowman and other astronauts are sent on a mysterious mission, their ship's computer, HAL, begins to display increasingly strange behaviour leading up to a tense showdown between man and machine that results in a mind-bending trek through space and time. Now, focusing on or highlighting... Uh, a synopsis for a film like 2001 may be somewhat meaningless. Yeah. Derek, do you want to talk about why or do you even agree?
1: Well, I want to. Uh, can I first of all talk about. Uh, can I ask you what your history is with the film? How many times have you seen it?
0: Well, you went and saw it at which cinema the other night? I
1: saw it at the Sun in Yarraville. That's right. Um, which I, I was meant to look up before we went on the air whether it still has screenings there. It's definitely playing at Nova this weekend, if, you, if anyone's listening to this this week, and you're in Melbourne. Which I feel would be a. Bad cinema to see because there aren't enough big screens. Nothing about
0: nothing against cinema. Over the screens are just small. Uh, So this would be the third or fourth time I've seen it. Um, uh, Fifth, if you count a time uh, at four in the morning when we're all drunk and blasted it up against the
1: side of the house. I do count that. Me too. So (laughs) far, Uh, Uh, so that's more than I have. Well, I I, I've seen it actually three times in the cinema, if you can believe it. I've seen it none in the cinema. The reason the reason for that is I saw it once when it was first. Well, I don't know if it was first re-release, but I saw it in like 1980 um, on a re-release, and uh, with my dad. I wasn't even born. And, Derek. No, yeah. And the reason why my dad thought it would be good for me to see is because he thought it was going to be like Star Wars, and I was <laughs> bored to tears, and it was probably literally tears because I was about seven years old then. Um, so that was my first time, and I saw that, but it, it wasn't a particularly impressive screen. But then I saw it in 2001 um, at uh, the Roger Ebert Overlooked Film Festival in Illinois. Which was really cool because Ebert actually had Arthur C. Clarke on satellite phone from Sri Lanka, wherever he was living at the time, and he answered questions from us and that led to a really funny um, joke with my friend and I because we went, it wasn't actually a joke, it really happened, there was a little girl in the audience. Who addressed him as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny because he is a Sir. He's Sir Arthur C. Clarke. He's a sir. He is, but she got confused and somehow this is like seven-year-old girl knew who Arthur Conan Doyle, Arthur Conan Doyle was, one so I thought my old, that was funny.
0: One of my old mates who I haven't seen in a while reckons he's a descendant of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh. Um, gear,
1: if you're listening, which you're not, <laughs> g'day, and you should be listening. Um, so that we should so, all be listening. So I liked it better in 2001, but that I was, you know an adult, and I should have liked it a lot better, but I still, even on this big presentation at this festival in the year 2001, I still didn't really get it. Then about five years ago, I watched it on video for the first time, and it kind of blew my mind. It's really made for video, this movie. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Like uh, it doesn't make any sense at all. And then, so I was leaping at the opportunity to see it on the big screen. And this, after this last viewing, it's like jumped into my top twenty of all time. I think it's just fantastic. And uh, I think I was actually supposed to answer a question that you asked me at one point. <laughs> um, why is it defy? Does it defy plot description? You don't have to answer yeah. if you don't want to. I well, like it.
0: I liked it more the second time too. I didn't like it at all the first time I saw it. I thought it yeah. also thought it was boring. But I also think we don't have to go the question was just to get things started. yes of course of course um, I don't even really care about any of your answers Derek um, but um, nor should you but uh, I think uh, it's interesting that we both uh, came around to it after the first viewing, because I think that happens a lot with Kubrick films. After the films. second viewing for me, so well, I wasn't well, yeah, to my third the, that the I really liked it. The first time we saw it, we that yeah. we neither of us particularly uh, thought much of it, and I think that happens a lot with Kubrick films.
1: Well, yeah, yeah uh, you not just that for to a, for me, for Barry Linden. To,
0: well, about ba- yeah, Barry Lyndon. I thought was one of the yeah. you know least enjoyable film experiences of my life the first time I saw it, and now it's <laughs> and yet in my top, back. <laughs> to now to my top ten. <laughs> yeah. I've been back a few times, yeah. But even Kubrick, um, uh, you know, at the time when a lot of his films were being released they don't really uh, enjoy the recognition that they go on to enjoy. Uh, And I think that's a lot true of a lot of them. I remember when Eyes Wide Shut came out and that people were um, sort of uh, really ridiculing it.
1: And when I first saw it, I didn't like it. And the second
0: time I saw it, I thought it was amazing. Well, the funny thing
1: is I actually did just watch that in the last two weeks as well, I it went on a little bit of a Kubrick kick in the month of July. I saw *Fear and Desire*, which I'd never seen before, oh, which is his first years, feature, yeah. which is only sixty minutes long. It's kind of like a, a rough draft for *Paths of Glory* a little yeah. bit. Same kind of issues that it addresses, which he again addresses in um, *Full Metal Jacket*. But um, but then I saw *2001*, and then I saw *Eyes Wide Shut*. So I saw his first, his best, and his last. Didn't fancy going <laughs> through uh, back to Barry Lyndon. Uh, well, not no. I mean, I can't do it all all at once.
0: So but. you think *2001* is his best film?
1: I now do, and that I've reached that conclusion. I when we had our Barry Lyndon podcast last year, and we're talking about Kubrick. It's at that Linden time, podcast. we did. Uh yeah, it was, it was your choice of a film that Blake and I hadn't seen, and we went and watched it and talked about it. What did Blake think? Uh, he liked it a little. He liked it a little bit more than I did. <laughs> so a lot less than I did. Yeah, a lot less than you did. Um, but um, but at that time, we did a, a top three that was related to that, and I stated that. Um, um, I'm forgetting it now with the drugs. Uh, forgetting the Clockwork name. Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange. My goodness. Um, my favorite Kubrick film, whose title I can't remember. Um, that was my favorite at the time, and I've decided this has definitely surpassed it. This film is just is is like this terrific burst of of art film craziness that like has no like that has very little linear logic but the thing that's kind of amazed me about especially in the most recent viewing was it's actually a lot tighter than I give it credit than a lot of people give it credit for in the in the plot heavy parts um like the thing that I really noticed on this time was how little time you actually spend with Frank Poole and Dave Bowman and Hal on the ship before it reaches a crisis point um uh, that it's like basically they have that interview which is expository where they watch the interview with themselves on on TV um, wh- where they interview Hal and they eat a meal and they go jogging around the ship next scene Hal's glitching out and the whole thing is starting to snowball so it's like. I think of the film as this crazy art film with these um, segues in it and these kind of flights of fancy. But then at its core, it's actually got quite a a solid kind of straightforward narrative. That does comprise, you know, not a huge part of the film,
0: though. And I think... uh, Perhaps one of the reasons a lot of people reject the film on first viewing is because of expectations. They're expecting... Star Wars. Yeah, (laughs) Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars really established expectations for these sort of movies Um, and going into 2001 you know, you might be disappointed if you have those expectations. Yeah, And I think, I mean, like I said, it wasn't always well regarded as it is now. I mean, a bunch of people walked out of the premiere, including Rock Hudson. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. apparently he sort of stormed down the aisle saying, you know, can someone tell me what the hell this is about? Yeah. Um, And I think, yeah. uh, But it's good to... The second time you watch it, you don't have those expectations anymore and you can sort of perhaps appreciate it for what it is.
1: Well, I think you also, at some point in your maturity as a cinephile, you start to realize that it doesn't matter if you don't know what it is. You're, it's a sensory experience.
0: Oh, but I'm talking about less knowing what it is and more the the fact that you know the first twenty three minutes there's no dialogue or something something like the first twenty three minutes, yeah. and then the really the only time there's any sort of story is is in that bit with Hal and the two astronauts who uh yeah
1: well that really you know then this is i think if i if you had asked me when i was a kid the part that i thought was the most boring i would have said it was the part with haywood floyd where he's um you know talking with his team about what this black monolith is and and keeping it hidden best part well you think that's the best part yeah i think that's terrific part but that was the part that i I felt that I was supposed to be getting plot, but that I didn't get it when I was a kid. I was like, what are they talking about? What is this thing? And I think, like, I can't remember as a kid experiencing the monolith on the moon and things like that. And I I can only remember, you know, like the, the ships rotating around and, you know, the Blue Danube, is that the name of the? Of Blue the, Danube yeah, uh, by yeah. Strauss, yep. Yeah, like, and just kind of feeling like, what is this? But that whole part is really plot-heavy in a way. It's like, it, it sets up what, what this is, what the mission is, what people's um, relationship to it is, um, why they won't reveal anything to anyone. Um, and, uh, it, and I love the way that sequence concludes, which with the deafening sound of the signal being sent to Jupiter from the, from the monolith, because I have to tell you, when I was in the cinema at Yarraville the other night, that, I, I have to think they would have heard that out on the street. It was so loud. It filled the world. And it, and it, and it kind of made me realize that one of the things this film does so incredibly well is it puts you in the shoes of the people who are experiencing those things. Like, you feel like a human being trapped on a ship by hell. Um, and you feel that signal piercing through the helmets that they, that they heard. And, well, it's interesting you say that because yeah. I think the main two things that stand
0: out for me with 2001... Uh, I think... Uh, well, maybe maybe there's three, but I'll start with the two that I've written down. Um, it's the special effects, which still look amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, yeah. Uh, um, and also the the way it presents its ideas. And I think a lot of the content is really up to the viewers to interpret. Yeah. And so I don't really think the plot is particularly important. And I think Arthur C. Clarke actually said, uh, you know, if, if people understand 2001 fully, then they haven't done their job properly. Mm-hmm. Um, or then they've failed, I think he said. But... Um, I think the other thing is that, you know, Kubrick was a photographer before he was a filmmaker and apparently the cinematographer hated, I can't remember his name, hated Mm. working on this film because Kubrick was, uh, you know, so precise and already knew what he wanted. There was not much room for collaboration. Right. And what's, you know, you mentioned that sequence um, uh, when they're flying to the moon or, you know, they're going to see the monolith and I Mm -hmm. think the sequence from uh, that cut between, the match cut, I think it is between the bone... Mm -hmm. And the spaceship, mm-hmm. up until that sequence you just mentioned, with mm-hmm. that that music by can't remember his name, oh, with the, 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 voices, the voices when they oh see my the God, monolith, so yeah. eerie. <laughs> which they used in the Godzilla trailer recently, yeah, um, <laughs> I think Evangelist, no, not not Evangelist, no, it's, no, it's no, someone not Vangelis. else, yeah, okay. yeah, that's. But I think I'm what's, what's really writer. astonishing yeah. about these films is the images and the way yeah. Kubrick uses music to accompany the images, and the yeah. the ideas uh, that Kubrick and Clarke. Invite us to think about or engaging, but I think the really the film is meant to inspire awe, yeah, and and it still does. I mean, it looks better than most films now.
1: Right. Uh,
0: I mean, case in point, I just I started trying to rewatch Interstellar the other day and you know lost interest very yeah. quickly. Yeah. But there's that wormhole scene in Interstellar yeah. which doesn't look any better than. The the no, you know the trippy this, scene towards the end
1: st- The trippy scene in in two thousand one. I don't know why you would need anything different than and, that. The frozen and, and, and shots of it's, Dave it's, Bowman, like with his face frozen. During, and it's oh. it's
0: arguably more impressive because <laughs> yeah. you know it's it, it's practical. I mean, I don't know how they did the, the effects in Interstellar, but in no. today's day and age, it's like yeah. you know. Two thousand and one, you don't even have to, you know, trick your mind like you do when you watch something like King Kong, where yeah, it obviously yeah. looks fake, or Jaws. No. It just looks good.
1: Yeah, but, I, especially the, and the the spacecrafts. I think too. Like I, I, I was just one of the images I was marveling over um, when I was watching. It was the it, it was Dave Bowman in the pod outside trying to get back in and facing up against the ship that's dominated by Hal. And I was thinking it was like a literal David and Goliath moment because you've got David Bowman, who's a literal David, facing up against this ship that's just being... And, and there's just like a, a shot that lasts for like 10 to 15 seconds of them just staring at each other in space. Um, I mean, those crafts don't need to look any better than that. They don't need to look any different. They, Everything that he had, that, that Kubrick had to to simulate zero gravity like I still I was almost going to go to a video today and learn how they filmed the jogging scene and I just decided not to I was like I don't want to know I, yeah. I, it's uh-huh. it's so incredible it's so incredible that when I was a kid I think one of the reasons I was bored by it was I thought it was a documentary yeah like I I thought like it was it has this kind of um, presentational quality of like this is how life is in space. This these are how um, air, air, airline stewardesses or whatever the equivalent is, you know, deliver the meals to the people on the plane. This is how this. I I thought it was like almost like an instructional video, and which is crazy because that would mean that in my seven-year-old mind, I thought that Stanley Kubrick and his crew went into space and shot and shot video. But that's really what it looks like. It has this verisimilitude to it um, that kind of defies this idea, this need for, um, you know overly uh, showy special effects yeah, and right. I guess well, just to circle back to what I said earlier about um, it the plot heavy and the kind of straightforward plot I kind of more mean like it's clear how there, there's a through line between the sequences that it does it's not just like, arbitrary scene followed by arbitrary scene followed by arbitrary scene. It's a, there's a through line from beginning to end within that there's the, the realm for mystery and what the hell do you think that means and all that stuff. But it gives you just enough
0: to, to draw your own conclusions if you want.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I love, and I just love the minimalism of it also in certain parts, like even after the moment when Dave Bowman realizes that, Hal has killed his the other astronaut who's alive with him. He barely registers any emotion on his face. He's like all business, like, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go pick up this guy's corpse, um, which is like the most human possible thing you could do is saving someone from space who's already dead. Right. You know? Well, I think it's yeah. interesting
0: you bring that up because Kubrick cops a lot of flack for, you know, his films cop a lot of flack for being cold and emotionalist. And I think I can see where people are coming from when they say that, but I think he's... Yeah. You know, his career is full of these dehumanised characters from Jack Torrance and the yeah. Droogs and Clockwork Orange and I think even sort of Barry Lyndon to an extent. Yeah. But I really i have always appreciated this sort of, I think, you know, expansive reservoir of feeling underneath his films yeah. that um, I think that uh, superficial coldness maybe belies. And I mean, you look at the sequence... Uh, uh, the, with the Blue Danube, where yeah. which really celebrates this beauty of human achievement, yeah, for and sure. like, the whole sequence wants you to feel and to comprehend and how amazing it is, and the scene you just used as an example, uh, you know he looks impassive but then the way he acts well so and, the, and he
1: knows that Frank is dead like human, he knows yeah. he's not going to go save him he just wants to retrieve his body from space which ultimately he can't do because he has to do uh, a test to let it go in order to use the the grappling hands to to get himself back inside but i love the, i love to notice this time that the only time he shows something that i really think of as being an emotion is when he realizes how Hal discovered that they were going to betray him. And, and Hal's like, "I, you took precautions, Dave, but I read your lips. And he just has this moment. He just allows himself a moment to just cast his glance downward. And he says, oh, we, we planned it so well, but we forgot that. Yeah. And, that's, and speaking of that, that has got to be the best pre-intermission cliffhanger of all time, doesn't it? Yeah. oh yeah, there's an intermission God, yeah, I watched so, it
0: last night I already for
1: yeah so that's that was the thing that was fun when I when we see it in the cinema, is you actually take the intermission yeah. so it was about they did a thirteen minute intermission and wow. I love the fact that it leaves you on hal is reading their lips and some shit's about to go down yeah.
0: <laughs> do you know what uh, I was reading um apparently it, it's it was sort of flopped when it first came out and then um uh, hippies ended up saving the film because they're all you know coming in droves to you know take acid and oh yeah and, and they, they ended up redesigning the poster uh, so the tagline said the ultimate trip yeah 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 and there right. were I, I did hear rumours that um you know if you dropped acid at the start you know the idea was that you know you peaked at the right moments which is I mean as if you you know if you take it acid yeah is ridiculous but um <laughs> you know, it lasts about ten hours but um uh, you know it's it, it's uh, I don't know. That's the end of that story.
1: Well, and it's it's interesting, and you kind of it's like a grab bag of different things that a hippie could possibly be interested in. I mean, like the opening sequence, which we haven't talked about really yet, with the monkeys. Um, here's another uh, story about that viewing in 2001 with my friend in Illinois. Um, we both genuinely looked at each other and said, "Are those monkeys real, or are those people in costumes?" Yeah, well, they look better <laughs> than the Planet of the Apes monkeys. They, well, the, Planet the, of the Apes, I think, was the same year, maybe. Yeah, it was the same year yeah. i was actually looking it up today it was the same yeah. year and the thing is it, it it's obviously is that a giveaway of your top 3 no no i it, <laughs> it didn't make it actually um it could be um but uh obviously these are hum- these are men in costumes they had to have been because you can't dire- you couldn't have directed a group of monkeys to, to yep. do all those things but the fact that we looked at each other at age 28 and said are those real monkeys or are those actors like and then we laughed at ourselves but it was like it just shows you what Kubrick has accomplished here. He's he, a twenty minute scene of monkeys, doing very monkey like things, but having these moments where they, you know, bash a, a skeleton to bits with a bone and start beating each other up. And but it, it goes on forever and ever. And like you could be, if you were, you might want your acid to peak at that at that point. You know, <laughs> you might want your acid to peak when the when the uh, signal go, signal goes out um, with making the loud piercing noise. I mean, there's just so many moments in the film that are. Step back and and admire the craft of cinema that that Kubrick has put in front of us. You know? I mean, it's
0: it's fifty years old this yeah.
1: year. Yeah, and it's.
0: You know, I'm not even being you know
1: cute or whatever when I say it still looks amazing.
0: It looks amazing. Well, yeah. that,
1: let's get into that a little bit too, because that was supposed to be the big advantage of this re-release. Which, if you go to one of those local cinemas soon, you might have a chance to still see. Um, is that it, uh, Christopher Nolan pieced the original or made a made a, a a new print of the film based on the original negative? Because right? this is yeah. Christopher Nolan's favorite movie, I think. Yeah, it yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't surprise, surprise me, me and it yeah. would certainly explain interstellar yeah. um but he um, certainly
0: wouldn't explain a lot of, a lot about interstellar though <laughs> do you like interstellar
1: oh i, I I'll give it about a, a, a six or a seven. Like I have yeah. a modest appreciation for it. But um, but yeah, it's, um, I mean, I feel like that whole scene at the end where he's yelling, Murph, Murph is still going on, you know? It's <laughs> like, <laughs> some of the stuff is is d- does not really deliver in that film. But some of it's quite profound, I think. In any case, um, this is profound throughout. And uh, the, the, the appearance of it, what I had heard was that the blacks were supposed to be blacker and things like that. It's a 70 millimeter print. So it's like, it's supposed to look more expansive. It, to be honest, this was my third time seeing it at the Big screen I couldn't really tell the difference but I did really appreciate seeing all the little cigarette burns in the film and like the scratches and yeah. like the actual negative, you're seeing the actual negative up there you're not seeing a restored a digitally restored version from 1998 or whenever you're seeing um w- as close to as possible to what the original negative looked like and this was i guess a a co- uh, a version a negative that had been saved as like a preserved copy of it yeah. and it, they started from that and it just it just puts you in that kind of cinemascope uh, feeling of being in the late nineteen sixties, you know, which even I'm not old enough to have actually experienced <laughs> it when it came out. But, um, but sure, this idea that Derek. Said, I'm sixty five years old, <laughs> no, um, and uh, and it just, it just, it was just like a, an overwhelming experience when I saw it. And yeah. I, I really recommend anyone who can still see it on the big screen to do so.
0: Yeah, well, sad I missed it. I presume it'll be coming to play the Aster at some point, surely. Yeah. Well, no. This. Yeah.
1: yeah so yeah. but... Yeah, well, that's that's that would be logical. That's and that's a, another little tie back there because the Astor's actually where I saw um, the Hateful Eight on on seventy millimeter. Okay. And speaking of which, um, at Yarrowville they had a, a little opening newsreel segment from the screening that you went to with Tarantino of Hateful Eight. No, I didn't go to the one in Yarrowville. I went to oh, I you one did. out.
0: The, he he surprised people at the Yarrowville theater, oh. so there was an official one, which was the one I went to. Um, I also want to say that I didn't, I don't like the hateful eight yeah. it's <laughs> meaningless for this podcast, but, uh, you know, yeah. I thought it was worth mentioning. Uh, so that, I went to the one that Tarantino was meant to go to, and then I think he just must have, you know, got wind of this screening at Yarraville and surprised everyone. Uh, so okay. I paid $50, 60 for my ticket okay. and I got him for free.
1: Yeah. Well, um, but you also got, you also got Kurt Russell and Samuel L. Jackson, right? Yeah. I think yeah. they were there. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. were they were there definitely here at this one. Uh, well, well, anyway, so so yeah, so the Yar- so the sun does it right too. They've got a big big screen. Sun's a good there. theater. Yeah, yeah sun's really good. Yarraville in general is a good place. Yeah. yeah, my my wife and I want to move there. We're wondering if that's possible.
0: <laughs> Ooh, got a few a cool million. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: Um, but yeah, I I anyway, so it's uh, it ended up in my top twenty uh, of all time. I'd have so to say. It's just I, I reckon
0: it's telling how amazing Kubrick is. The 2001 Space Odyssey is a stone cold masterpiece. Yeah. And I don't even think it's in my top three, if not maybe four or five favorite Kubrick movies. And yeah. I'm talking, like, this is a, you know, five out of five, you know, yeah. 10 out of 10, yeah. like one of yeah. the best movies ever made. Yeah. And even then, I'd still probably put, from, personally, The Shining, yeah. Barry Lyndon, Eyes Wide Shut, um,
1: Paths, to, Paths of Glory, all of those, maybe Doctor Strange Love ahead of it. Yeah, Out of those five, Strange Love is the one I haven't seen in about 20 years, but the, all the others I've seen for the first or second time in the last five years. And yeah, I mean, there's, I don't think of myself as like a great lover of Stanley Kubrick, but like every time I consider his films individually, I always think, wow, yeah, that's terrific. That's terrific. You like, know? I mean, but he's got some like random ones that are you know, only so-so in there. I mean, like, oh, I, I mean, is quite good. But um, like but, that's, but personally, except for his really early stuff, which is still
0: pretty good, like The Killing is a really good flick, like a, a really good high. flick. I haven't seen
1: that one. That's one of two I haven't seen. Really yeah.
0: cool. Yeah. Um, And then I think, you know, I don't think you count Spartacus because he didn't yeah. count Spartacus. He was no. just a gun for hire on that. Yeah. And apart from leader, which I think is still a very solid film, yeah. as soon as he starts making, you know, films like Paths of Glory, yeah. I think you could argue that he only made masterpieces. I mean, you've got Parts ah, of Glory, yeah. Doctor Strange's Love, A Clockwork Orange, the, uh, 2001, Barry yeah. Lyndon, The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide
1: Shut. And I think they're all five-star movies. I, I've, I, I agree with you on the first 40 minutes I of, may have missed of a few. Uh, Full Metal Jacket. Um, the, the the last two-thirds of it doesn't really do much I, me, I still think
0: the last um, t- uh, like half is still a really great. But the first half is so good that it makes what would have otherwise been an amazing
1: movie look worse. What do you love about Eyes Wide Shut? Not to, to put you oh. on the spot, because <laughs> I don't. I don't really get a lot from that film, actually. But oh man, as soon yeah. as I watch a film, I just forget how I feel about it. Let me think. What do I like about that? You film? know what I want to see again too is I want to see AI because there's some there's some Kubrick DNA in AI too. Oh man, too. And
0: I, I rewatched that. Yeah. I saw that for the first time 13 years ago when I was living in Germany, mm-hmm. and I was yeah. you know there was enough Kubrick in there to pique my interest. Yeah. Watched it again recently and I had to turn it off about halfway through. It's
1: Awful. You don't like Jude Law as a pimp,
0: a robot pimp? He's actually not too bad at <laughs> it. Uh, what's his name? Haley Joel Osment mm. is really strange in it, which I guess is the point. Yeah. But sort of also misses the mark. Yeah. Um, I'd like to tell you what I think of Eyes Wide Shut, but I just can't think of it right now. that's oh, all right. That's yeah. been a long day. But I...
1: But I, 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 I watched just, it again how, like two weeks yeah. ago just because I wanted to... Oh, Eyes Wide Shut? To, yeah, because I yeah. wanted to get to that place where others are w- with that film, and I just couldn't. I was just like, it's kind of a waste of my time.
0: I think it's sort of just... There's a very kind of um, classical feel in terms of like the the narrative. It feels like an old old really old novel. Yeah, sure, um, I can see that. Yeah, and I think there's just these sequences. Just I mean, even like um, uh, the opening sequence with um, uh, where he's walking around to that Shostakovich waltz. He's walking around the hospital, I think. You mm. know, those long tracking shots. Mm. I mean, I think that's um, some of Kubrick's best pairing of v- images and music. Since two thousand and one, okay. you know, possibly, yeah. Um, and um, you know, uh, you put me on the spot. It's funny you should say. Eyes Wide Shut is is yeah. is is one of my favorite movies of the nineties. I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I think every every movie he made, especially when he started making a movie a decade, is one of the best movies of that decade. Like I think Full Metal Jack is The Shining, yeah. uh, you know, two of the best movies of the eighties. Barry Lyndon is yeah, one of the best Shining's movies of the seventies.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but two two thousand one has eclipsed all that for me. Uh, I guess a, I guess a pun intended, uh, pun not intended. I don't know. There's did a, you write that pun uh, in your notes? No, I didn't. <laughs> I, I did, you did see me glancing at my notes, but that was just random. You know what I love most? Also, well, never is know. I, I got to see, I got to hear. Um, Thus spake Zarathustra, um, and it wasn't that stupid Me Bank ad. Oh <laughs> we
0: put that into context for? Uh, do, do you know what annoys me about that fucking ad what? is as soon as 2001 started, like yeah. all I thought about was that ad. Yeah, there's an which,
1: ad. which kills you. You know, the opening of 2001 has these planets kind of in a, a syzygy, is that what they call it, where the planets are kind of all lined up there and they're kind of moving in and out of sequence and that's when the music's playing. And this bank called Me Bank has an imitation of that and it has one of these planets singing like like, a, like me, me, like a Figaro, Figaro kind of thing or and something
0: like that. It, and <laughs> it, it's on at, before every movie yeah. in uh, I think both of the large film chains, at least definitely village cinemas and I think Horwitz as well, So we've seen it a lot. And then there's a
1: Hal parody
0: voice in it, also. (laughs) That made it it ruined the start of that because all I was thinking about was that guy going singing that planet singing me. It's like when. the good guys. That electronics chain used uh, um, "Good Vibrations" by the Beach Boys. Uh, now yeah. I can't listen to that song.
1: <laughs> can I just, uh, since we're talking about Hal for a second here, can I just tell you that I love that you can pinpoint the exact moment that Hal has his break from reality because he has this because he's talking like a normal human being. I mean, albeit sounding a bit like a sedated serial killer, but he says just a moment. Just a moment, like like uh, yeah. in this really weird way, like he's just glitching out completely, and that's when he detects the fault that doesn't exist in the thing. And so it's like, but it's weird, you you get to witness this exact moment when he loses it. And um, and I love the way he's so he's so many steps ahead that when he realizes as soon as Dave gets back inside the ship, he just realizes that he has no ability to stop him doing for what he's going to doing except for persuasion. And he tries to persuade, persuade him in this really like pathetic and kind of moving way not to be killed by him. It's just like, sorry, that's just a random... No, I just had to throw definitely, there. What yeah. it, Speaking <laughs> of hell as well, I think something
0: incredible about this film is as much as Stanley Kubrick is doing, it's sometimes when he's not doing much that... The film is that it's like when, yeah. whenever you see hell, it's just this image of a light. Yeah. But you always sort of seem to know what hell is, you know, thinking.
1: Yeah.
0: A- and hell is really conveyed as this, you know, like reasonably well realized character. And yeah. all that is is this monotone voice and a light. So yeah. for every, you know, montage with, 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 you know, admittedly beautiful and amazing special effects and, you know, as amazing as yeah. any part of that film, there are these moments that are very contained. Although, you know, the, these choices that he makes, where where he's not doing much stylistically, he's not doing much with the camera. Yeah, you know, not Case doing much with point. music. Yeah. And how?
1: Case in point is the the death of the three scientists, yeah. which is conveyed entirely through watching their life support monitors flatline, and through these giant messages on the screen that's saying life support danger, life support terminated. And it's just like completely silent other than these beeps and boops and goes on for about two minutes in between the other things. And it's just, that those three guys are dead. You know, it's just like, and that, I find that horrifying, you know? And it's like, it's he's not doing anything there, really. It's yeah. very minimal. And it's just, there's a lot, I mean, a lot of this movie is really horrifying, like the death of Frank Poole also, which is has these like, these moments of like panic when he's like clawing at his neck to try to get air. I mean, but but it's also this weird kind of like fast motion um, movement through this through the space. Like he's like it's almost like comedic, but it's like it's so terrifying. I, I, I love that, that how that that's led up to by this three three times closing in on Hal's face. It goes do 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 like right at, and it's right. like yep, Hal's about to to go psycho killer. So. <laughs>
0: All right, Derek. Top three.
1: Top three. Okay. Well, I actually chose five, but I'm only gonna I'm gonna figure out which one. I'm gonna knock out one of them. All right. My number All right, three. After you,
0: after you do your three, yeah. just say the titles of the other two, because I was gonna be sitting here. Okay. Waiting for the next one minute until this
1: podcast uh, finishes <laughs> to to find out. Fantastic Voyage, um, a 1966 Richard Fleischer film where they shrink the the submarine into the the, the human body and travel around inside the body. Did you um, ever see Inner Space? Yeah, it's like yeah, Interspace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but it's better than Interspace, come on. <laughs> I've only seen Space. I haven't seen Fantastic Four. It's uh, I think Raquel Welch is in it actually. Oh, so, man. yeah. So, and that that was cool. I like that a lot. Um, my number 2 is Them. Um I don't know if this really qualifies. It's the movie with the, with the giant ants. Oh. The giant radioactive ants yeah. from 1954, Gordon Douglas. I know that movie. For some reason it's not cheesy. It's really it's really chilling. Um and I I that that made my list, and also my um, number one would be uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, oh, 1956.
0: We didn't even explain what the top three were. Oh
1: my goodness! <laughs> top three was it sci-fi? Is top like three sci-fi years, films 50, that were over 50, 50 years, years old, and that, and there was a there was some latitude with I, like I was originally going to look just for space films. Um, That's all right. We but I didn't so so your latitude kind of fell I'll out. I'll tell my titles again in that context. Fantastic Voyage, Them, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which goes without saying um that that, that film's great. I also was considering um I'll tell you after you d you say your three, then I'll tell you my other two. No? Right. You want me to tell me in that? No, 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 no. I'll tell you mine. Okay. Um you know, I couldn't really th- find too many that
0: really blew me away. Yeah. Man, I'm going with Trip to the Moon for number three. Yeah, yeah. The Classic, story. silent movie, yeah. George May Lee. If you don't know it, but you've seen Hugo, then you know it. Yeah. Uh, number two is Forbidden Planet. Um, I considered it. Uh, I just um, uh, really like Leslie Nielsen in a serious role. <sighs> Re- like, way before it yeah, became That's, like, the
1: precursor to Star Trek. That's, like, the yeah, precursor to yeah. Star Trek.
0: Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's d- decades before Leslie it's Nielsen like really or something. Yeah, yeah. became um, yeah. uh, known for his comedy. Yeah. And then just because I remember watching it so clearly because after watching the parody on The Simpsons, I thought it was a comedy and being very taken aback when it was a very serious movie, of the Apes, the original. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, that's, Which yeah, is also that, 50 years old
0: this year. Happy it birthday. Is,
1: it is. That, that would have qualified. So neither of my other two were, were mentioned by you. They were um, The Day the Earth Stood Still oh, yeah. and The Fly, the original What's The Fly. What's
0: the robot or the alien calling The Day the Earth Stood Still? Gort, that's right.
1: Klatu barata nictu is what he says. Or actually, what, what did his... you just call me? Yes, I called you terrible things in Bort language, Gort um, language. <laughs> final thoughts on 2001: Space Odyssey. Ah, I think we said everything. My notes, my, all my bullet points are crossed off. With I didn't with say everything
0: pen. because I yeah. have something to say, oh, and yeah. I feel like I don't really often say anything in this part of the you podcast. Sometimes you don't, but there's
1: you're, we're, we're taking up space for one additional person, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah, who needs
0: <laughs> you, Blakey? Nah, you're welcome back when you get back. Maybe you'll bring us some um, like European chocolate or something yeah. like um, Ritter Sport, Leaky. If you're listening, which you should be, but you won't be, bring us back some Ritter Sport chocolate. Mm. Uh, what I'd say about 2001: A Space Odyssey is if you've only seen it once and didn't see what the big deal was, I would very much recommend seeing it a second time, um, if you can, possibly even
1: a third time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Second,
0: well, hopefully after the second time, you'll really like it. Yeah. And I and I think also you should, like Derek recommended, go and see it on a, a big screen. Possibly not the Cinema Nova, and I don't want to do Cinema Nova any uh, disservice here because it's a great cinema. Sometimes the people who work there are kind of unfriendly, but in general, a good cinema. But if you're in Melbourne, I'd actually hold out and see it on uh, a, a very uh, the largest screen you can because yeah. it's one of those movies. And I, I think in general, if a movie is good, it's good. But it's like uh, I was upset when you yeah. saw Dunkirk not in IMAX. Yeah, right. because <laughs> it's right. We're over it. But I, I think so, some movies uh, very rarely. Um, and I'm not talking stuff like Black Panther or, um, you know, what's another, like Pirates of the Caribbean, just because yeah. they're blockbusters. I think yeah. some some movies really are worth seeing. Absolutely. Know, yeah,
1: like, and I think it may, yeah, like you say, it may play at the Astor. And I may actually still have dates at, at Yarville, but I'm not sure. I did have one final thought that I forgot to mention. Old Keir Dalia, old Dave Bowman, reminded me of Ed Harris. <laughs> he reminded me of someone too, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Maybe it was Ed Harris. Ed Harris has all his is now, I guess, because Ed Harris at that time would have been
0: just a little baby. You ever seen Westworld?
1: <laughs> uh no. It's disappointing. Second disappointing. season, is disappointing. Yeah, I've heard people say it's disappointing. I don't
0: watch much TV, so when I do, yeah, I want it to be uh, to be good. Absolutely. <sighs> Which is why I'm going to go watch Friends. <laughs> Thank you, Derek. Thank you. Uh, this has been the Real Good Podcast. Hopefully that's obvious by now. For more film-related stuff, go to realgood.com.au. That's real with two E's. Derek uh, has a review up there, a recent review of, what was it called? The Gospel According to Andre. The Gospel According to Andre. By, more to come. In the next couple of days, we'll have Mission Impossible Fallout and Black Clownsman. Yeah. they will be, be good. Good reviews. See ya.